Welcome to Real Estate Investing Unscripted, a podcast from Fund That Flip, where we explore some of the most creative, innovative, and inspiring stories from the real estate investor community. With expert tips and success stories you won't hear anywhere else, you'll come away with inspiration on how to improvise in the unscripted world that is real estate investing so that you can dominate your next real estate deal. Now your host, founder and CEO of Fund That Flip, Matt Rodak. Welcome, everyone, to Real Estate Investing Unscripted. I'm your host, Matt Rodak, founder and CEO of Fund That Flip. And I am uh, I'm super excited, as always, but particularly today, excited about our guest. We've got Brandon Hall, who is the founder and CEO of the Real Estate CPA. As the name suggests, he is an accountant and does a lot of work with uh, with real estate investors around, really around the country. Welcome, Brandon. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So, um... Maybe just just to get us started, tell us tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about the firm. What do you guys do? How do you help real estate investors? Just kind of give us the the lay of the land and and kind of what uh, what it is that that you guys do and how you help real estate investors. Sure. Um, so I run the realestatecpa.com and it's uh, it's a subsidiary kind of brand of our firm, Hall CPA, PLLC. And that's a CPA firm. We're based out of Raleigh, North Carolina, but I'm actually the only person in Raleigh, North Carolina, because we're 100% virtual. So I have employees spread out throughout the United States, um, 12 employees total. And we also have clients spread out throughout the United States. We have about 315 clients at this point. Every single one of them is involved in real estate somehow. Uh, so we've niched into real estate and specifically niched into a little bit larger of an investor. So what we've realized over time is that we can help the guy that buys the single family home to either flip or uh, or hold. Uh, but what, what we're realizing is that we're really adding a ton of value to the folks that are buying the portfolios, um, injecting a lot of capital into real estate, into various markets. We're able to help them from not only tax planning, tax compliance, but also from a CFO level perspective. So we've uh, we've kind of moved into that space pretty rapidly, and it's been relatively successful for us in a in a short amount of time. Yeah. So it, and you mentioned that everyone's involved in real estate in some form or fashion, and that extends to your like your accountants, right? Like all of your all of your team, all of those twelve people that are part of your team are actually active real estate investors as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So see, I need to do a better job cool. at selling my firm. <laughs> um, yeah, I and we didn't we didn't even plan this to be honest with you. Uh, I've just hired people. I, I have a had a presence on LinkedIn. I kind of dropped off rather recently, but we pretty much sourced everybody from LinkedIn. And from bigger pockets, like all of our employees and all of our employees have reached out to me saying, hey, I'm a CPA, not really happy with the big four, big regional firm, um, really love what you're trying to do. And by the way, I, I love real estate. So, well, tell me about yeah. why you love real estate. Oh, I own 38 units, you know, or I, yeah. I just syndicated my own 80 unit deal. Like we have those guys working for us. And it's really, really neat because when we get a client that's like, hey, I'm, I'm buying a portfolio of 10 single family homes. Um, can you, are you guys the best fit to advise me? And I'm like, well, personally I'm not, but we have a guy on our team that owns 38 single family homes. So yeah, he, he can advise you. Uh, and it's just, it's nice to be able to connect to clients on a, um, eye to eye basis rather than like, Hey, we are advising blindly on uh, real estate tax. Yeah. 
I think that's so that's so cool and so important. I think one of the things you said to me last time we spoke was, you know, one of the goals for you and your firm is to punch the traditional accounting model in the <laughs> face. I think was a as a direct quote. I wrote that down because I was like, that, yeah, that's that, cool. that was a that was a direct quote. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're still there. <laughs> yeah, but like, but like, other than like like wanting to punch the traditional accounting model in the face, like. Maybe, like, how are you guys different? Like, how do you think about different, like being different and like, why, why do you think that's important for, you know, both your, your employees and your staff and your partners, but also your, you know, your clients? Yeah, well, we're, we're very tech driven and we're very innovative. So we, I think we've changed operating systems, like t- entire systems, probably three times in the past two years, just as we've scaled. Um, we, we don't stick to technology that doesn't work anymore and we're always trying new things. So like one thing that we are doing now is instead of sending a traditional email back to our clients, we're sending a video email through a um, piece of technology called BombBomb. And I'm not affiliated with them or anything. I just think that their software is brilliant. So it allows you to like record something. You send an email. When you receive the email, it's a GIF of the first three seconds of the video. And that's been like going overwhelmingly well for us uh, in servicing our clients. So we're, we're always just trying to figure out better ways, since we're a virtual CPA firm, uh, better ways to implement technology to improve the client experience and to connect with our clients. Um, our clients love it because they can take a call from the golf course or in, in their house in their pajamas. Um, there's no like, let me drive through 30 minutes of traffic to get to my CPA. Super easy to get in touch with us. And uh, our, our employees love it because they can live in Italy for three months and still have a full time U.S. job. Um, and that's what we want to do more. of. We want to be able to say, hey, our employees are are awesome. They love working here. And because they love working here, that's going to spill over into the value that they add to clients. That's really cool. So how did you uh, how did you come up with this this kind of business model? How did you get into it? Was it in and I guess, you know, maybe a follow on to that is how did you get into, you know, personally investing in real estate? Yeah. So it all boils down to, I hated my job at the big four. (laughs) Um, I I started at the big four accounting firms and literally three months in, I was sitting in my cube, tears streaming down my face. (laughs) How do I get out of the corporate world? (laughs) Literally Googling. If anybody, if anybody would have looked at my search history, they probably would have fired me because (laughs) it was all, I hate my job. How do I quit? (laughs) Yeah. Um, real estate kept popping up as a great opportunity to build passive income and ultimately replace your job. And, uh, I found bigger pockets and, um, I was really bored at work. Uh, there, there was no, I didn't feel like I was adding any value and I was definitely not getting any, any sort of feedback, positive or negative. Uh, so I just started, uh, answering questions on bigger pockets. People would be asking like tax questions and I would just kind of chime in and that was really rewarding for me. And, I got a little addicted to it. So I have like 1500 forum posts now. Um, but that ultimately snowballed into me owning investment real estate and, and also starting this CPA firm. So I, I started the firm from these bigger pockets referrals, uh, and really decided to start the firm after I realized that I could buy rental property and eventually get out of the corporate world, but it was going to take like another 10 years and I didn't want to wait that long. Um, so I was looking for other opportunities and decided I would just go right into a CPA firm. But I knew immediately starting the CPA firm that I did not want to structure it like a standard accounting firm. I wanted to be really cool. And again, wanted to punch the accounting world in the face. You don't have to don't have to service your clients in a suit and tie. You don't even have to be in the same country. That's the type of work environment that I wanted to build and then offer to uh, my future employees. 
I think that's so where where this uh, world of work is going, right? People people having more autonomy, working kind of on their own terms, doing things that they're passionate about, and um, ultimately making making an impact and and having some fun doing it. Um, that's cool. You mentioned you mentioned bigger pockets. Uh, you know, those that are listening, if you haven't or aren't aware of bigger pockets, check it out. Especially if you're you're just getting started, it's a resource that I used a ton too early on before starting Fund That Flip to develop a perspective on you know, what the market needed from a lender and, um, just a, just a great resource to, to network and, and transition from whatever you're doing currently into the world of real estate. Uh, a lot of network there, a lot of learning there and a lot of, you know, creative, creative people and ideas on how to, how to get things going, or if you're already going, how to take them to the next level. So big fan of bigger pockets for sure. So I got I got to ask some I got to ask some tax questions right cuz like you're the CPA and um you know the 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 show of or the the theme of the show is real estate investing unscripted right so I'm sure you see you know a lot of interesting tax strategies maybe some of them are are legal and some of them are are less legal um that people are maybe bringing to you before they start working with you but I'd love I'd love to hear some examples, maybe one or two examples of you know some of the more creative strategies that you've seen in your line of work, things that you would recommend doing, and then maybe a thing or two that you would recommend um, not doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we we could be here all day talking about that. So, <laughs> um, what what I would recommend doing? So, a lot of flippers, especially they they like to set up LLCs before they even begin business. Um, and then they immediately tax those LLCs as S corporations because that's what legal zoom tells you to do. Right. Um, or an uninformed CPA might tell you to do. And flipping is probably the one business that I would say, have your LLC set up before you actually do business. Otherwise you're going to hear me constantly say, don't set up an LLC until you've kind of proven out your model. Cause I'm, I'm a big believer of keeping it lean. Um, but in flipping, you should definitely, even that very first flip, that that flip should be taken title within an LLC, um, not in your personal name, because then you've got to transfer it into the LLC, worry about transfer taxes, timing issues, all that stuff. Um, but one thing that you don't have to do is tax your LLC immediately as an S corporation. So an S corporation is a is a tax classification. It's an election that you make. It's not actually a completely separate entity that you can go and set up. You set up an LLC, then you file a form with the IRS to elect to be taxed as an S corporation. And the big benefit of S corporations is to pay yourself a salary that is lower than the total profits that you earn. So if I earn 100K and I have an S corporation, I could pay myself 50K of the 100K. Now I'm still gonna earn the full 100K, but an S corporation allows you to not pay FICA taxes, otherwise known as self-employment taxes, which are equal to about, 15, not about, they are equal to 15.3%. Um, you don't have to pay FICA taxes on the amount of profit that you're not paying yourself as salary. So mm-hmm. if I pay myself, if I make $100,000 flipping and I pay myself salary of say $70,000, I only pay the 15.3% self-employment tax on the $70,000. The remaining $30,000 I just get as a distribution to me, uh, but I don't have to pay the 15.3% tax on. So an S corporation allows you to save pretty significant money on self-employment taxes if you structure it appropriately. But what I'm getting at is a lot of people will go and set up the S corporation immediately. 
And this is a problem because S corporations cost a lot to administer. You have to pay payroll. You have, you have additional administrative burdens just in terms of like reporting to the state, meeting minutes, different costs there. Then you have to pay a CPA probably 2000 bucks to file that S corporation for you. And what we advise clients on is don't set up that S corporation until you're actually generating profits. Um, if you, if you set up the S corporation before you're generating profits, then you're just paying everybody uh, for expenses that you don't need. So what a lot of our clients will do is they'll set up an LLC. They'll take title to their flips. Um, and then in the year that they earn more than $40,000 net profit, and we're not going to get into the $40,000 mark. It's just the threshold that we have come to realize is the threshold. <laughs> um, but if they earn more than $40,000 net profit, what we do in November or December of that year is we retroactively elect to be taxed as an S corporation. And that retroactive election means that that 40K or whatever we earned will still save us a ton of money in self-employment taxes because we're now going to be treated as an S corporation for that tax year. So you can either set up the S corporation at the beginning and lock into it, right? And then you're definitely paying all those fees. But if you don't earn more than 40K net profit, it's not going to be beneficial to you. It's going to be more costly than beneficial. Or you can use our method, which is set up the LLC. And just because you have the LLC set up, we can now retroactively elect at any time to be treated as an S corporation. And we always wait until November or December to make those elections because we know at that point what the net profit's going to be. That's really interesting. So it's, it's, and just so I'm clear, and this is even, even new to me. So you set up an LLC, you, you classify the tax treatment as an S corp. And then are, are what you're saying is you actually convert that LLC into an S corp or, or you just, you just set the, the tax classification up as an S corp later on. Yeah. So, so we would just set up an LLC. Like, like if, if we, if you were our client, Matt, and you were starting a flipping business, you would say, what do I need to do? We would say, go set up an LLC. You would go set up an LLC. Um, then you would do all your flipping stuff. So you'd buy property, you'd sell property, all that. It gets to November and December. We're saying, okay, Matt, give us your profit and loss statement year to date. Let's look at it. Um, okay, cool. You've earned $80,000 net income in your LLC. So what we're going to do now, Matt, is we're going to file form 2553 with the IRS, and we are going to elect that this LLC that you originally set up be retroactively taxed as an S corporation as of whatever date, either the beginning of the year or the date that you set up the LLC. Um, so we're not electing the S corp. We're not doing anything with the S corporation immediately. We're going to wait until November or December to look at what our net profits are and then make that retroactive election. Got it. And then there's really no timeline that could happen whenever, but any tax year that happens while you're still the LLC, you get taxed as an LLC. And then whenever you set the date, you set the date and now you're treated as an S corp, right? So there's no, like you've got to do this in the first year or anything like that. Right. So, so the retroactive election is referring to a safe Harbor and technically you have three years and 75 days um, that you can retroactively elect to be taxed as an S corp from the date that you start the LLC or from the date that you want to be taxed as an S corp. So if you started your LLC six years ago, but 2018 is the first year that you're, you're netting above 40,000 bucks, then what we would do is we would just retroactively elect to be treated as an S corp as of one, one 2018. We wouldn't go all the way back to the beginning of the LLC. We would just do it in the year that you're, you're exceeding that the profit threshold that we've set. Gotcha. 
So, so how does that work, right? So you, you get out of the 15.3 for self-employment tax on, you know, the distributions from an, from an LLC, but as, as an S corp and because you're paying yourself a salary, are there not still taxes like employment taxes and other things that go along with that, that salaried piece? And like, what's, I guess, what's the the difference between the 15.3 and whatever, I'm assuming the IRS uh, has has thought some about this. So, like, is there is there a difference? I can't imagine it's like a zero. Like, you get the full fifteen point three benefit. You do now. It's not a um, it's not a walk in the park, right? Like we when we provide these uh, these salaries these these salary thresholds to clients. Like like if you came to us and you said, hey, I've netted a hundred thousand dollars. What should I pay myself? There's all sorts of analytics that we run to actually determine what a fair wage is, because that's the thing. You have to pay yourself a fair and reasonable wage. Otherwise, the IRS can come back and audit you and challenge the wage that you're paying yourself. Um, So what we see a lot, and, and this is horrible, so this is one of those don't do it. What we see a lot is people running S corporations will go to their CPAs and their CPA will say, oh, yeah, um, pay yourself 40 percent of revenues or 40 percent of net profits or they'll come up with some random percentage. And you as a taxpayer are ultimately the one that's responsible for your information. So you're going to need to ask the CPA, how did you determine that percentage? And and the only reason that we tell you that is because. When you get audited, not if, when you get audited at some future point, they're going to ask you, how did you determine 40 percent? And you're going to say, I have no idea. And then the (laughs) IRS is going to say, well, we think it should be 80 percent or 90 percent. We're going to take you to court over it. And that's when you get into trouble. So what we do is we say, hey, we arrived at 40 percent by analyzing all of this data and information for you. And here's a packet so that if that audit ever comes along, you can hand that to the auditor and say, good luck. Um, challenge me all you want, but this is, this is how we arrived at it. At least we have support there. But yeah, if you can, you know, going back to that hundred K example, if you don't have an S corporation and you net a hundred thousand dollars, you're paying $15,300 in self-employment taxes before you ever even pay your marginal tax. So a lot of business owners, not just flippers, but a lot of business owners will have effective tax rates like in excess of 40%. Um, and that, that's what we want to try to avoid. So with an S corporation, we pay ourselves a certain amount. Maybe we pay ourselves $50,000 and we take the remaining 50 K as profits, but we only pay, we only pay that 15.3% on the 50 K that we pay ourselves. So just in that example alone, our tax is only $7,650. It's not $15,300. And we've saved a ton of money as a result of the S corporation. Got it. Interesting. And you know more off the top of your head than I ever hope to know off the top of my head about accounting. Uh, you know, three, <laughs> the, my favorite was three, three years and 75 days or whatever that number was. Like the, the fact that you know that is rather impressive. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you, you kind of hit a, a little bit on. So, so the things to do, set up the LLC. If you're flipping houses, obviously hire Brandon to help you with thinking through all this stuff or some other competent attorney that should know at least as well, or I should say accountant that should at least know some of this stuff um, as well. And then if you, if you're making more than 40 K is kind of the, the threshold that you think makes sense. You get to the end of the year, have that conversation again and consider maybe getting the tax treatment change to an S corp. That's yeah. the takeaway. That's the to do. What, what about a do not do kind of, uh, kind of, uh, advice. All right. I've got, uh, I've got two, one for smaller investors, one for some larger investors. So 
Well, I guess one for everybody. So the first one for everybody is when, when you, you should have a team of professionals, right? So you need a CPA, you need an attorney, you might even need a financial advisor, but don't not, not keep everybody in the loop, right? We've had multiple clients um, take action based on their attorney advice and only come to find out that that action results in thousands of dollars of taxes, sometimes tens of thousands of dollars of taxes. When we asked the client, hey, why, why didn't you come to us first? They said, well, I talked to the attorney. The attorney said that it was all fine and kosher, uh, so I just executed. And the problem is, is that if you're not considering – attorneys are generally not considering the tax side, and that, that's not what their job is. Um, you really need to loop your tax accountant in to really any kind of business decision like that, even if it's just a quick email, because they can save you tons of money. There was one client that had an $80,000 tax bill because he simply did not send me a, just a, just a one sentence email would have saved him 80,000 bucks. Um, so don't, don't trust attorneys to give tax advice. Don't trust accountants to give liability advice. That's the one <laughs> big, <laughs> the yep. one big piece of advice that I would give everybody. The second big piece of advice for the larger investors um, and mainly for people that are like closing on portfolios or larger deals where the bank might have some weird clauses in uh, in their contract with you, their mortgage agreement with you. Um, have your have your CPA or have an attorney review that before you sign it. And most people have their attorneys review it. But again, does an attorney focus on tax stuff? Sometimes, sometimes not. Um, one of the examples that I can give you is. And we've had multiple clients do this, sign mortgage documents without us being involved. And uh, the the bank might include something that says, hey, we need certified financial statements. Um, And and in in this particular case, that's all they said. So for me, I, I asked, well, what is a certified financial statement? Because there's no such thing in the accounting world as a certified financial statement. There's audited financial statements, and then there's just financial statements. <laughs> yep. And the bank comes back and says, we need audited financial statements. Well, that costs $15,000 a year at a minimum to get those financial statements audited. So now the client's facing a $15,000 professional services bill that he really didn't even need if we just clarified it all up front. So that's... Um, I guess the takeaway here is just talk to your accountant before you make decisions because we can definitely save you a lot of money and especially not just on the tax side, just in the ongoing professional services. It's a, it's a great point. And I think a, a lot of people in this business, right, like are you know stepping over dollars to save pennies and you say, well, I don't really want to get my accountant involved. He's going to charge me or I don't really want to get my lawyer involved. He's going to charge me a thousand bucks or two thousand bucks or whatever it is to review this. Like, Maybe, right? And, and like, yes, but like in this example, like that, maybe maybe you don't even charge us. I don't know. Maybe we can get into that conversation. But like, even if you did charge, you could make the argument, well, I just saved you 15,000 bucks, right? So um, that's, a, that's a, really, it's a really good point that I think yeah. some people get lost in the immediate cost when there's a lot of hidden costs that uh, you may be assuming without the right guidance um, getting you through these transactions. That's, yeah. that's a really good, uh, it's a really good bit of advice there. Yeah. And, and like our client in that particular case didn't know what a certified financial statement was and he didn't know what the implications were. But just because we as accountants, we have laws, right, that we have to follow. And in this particular case, the bank meant we needed a we need financial statements signed off by your CPA. But no CPA firm can just do that. They have to run all sorts of procedures to actually sign off. Yep. And those procedures cost a lot of money to run. 
Um, and that, that was the issue there. It's just not having, not having somebody review that and just catch that one little sentence. It's another point too. Like even when you're, you know, when you're thinking about comparing two lenders, right? Lender A may have that clause and lender B may not. Right. Lender B may have a slightly higher interest rate than lender A, but if lender A is going to, you know, and they're not, and they, they won't negotiate off of that point, you'd ask yourself how much cheaper is actually lender A interest rate aside, if you've got additional costs to meet their covenants and not, you know, not technically be in default of your loan. So, um, super, super helpful point that frankly, I had not even thought of before. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of those guys too, like they don't even, like some of these guys don't even enact their clauses, right? They don't even know what's in their clauses. The bank, that, that bank in particular was surprised to find that in their own mortgage clause. Yeah. Uh, but they're, they're putting these clauses in place just in case you ever screw up or you ever default, or maybe you don't even default. You just do something weird that they don't want to be a part of. They can point to something in those mortgage documents and say, Oh, well, you didn't give us certified financial statements. Uh, well, didn't know I had to too bad. We're calling the note. Um, yep. That's what we want to avoid. Yep. Makes a ton of sense. That's that's great advice. Thanks for sharing. One thing that I, that I wanted to ask you about, and I've been hearing more about this, and I don't know if it's uh, because of you know the recent recent tax uh, law passage, but there's been a lot of buzz kind of in, in my circle around opportunity zones um, and opportunities as an investor that these opportunity zones create. And, and it's, and it's from my understanding, somewhat of a, a, a technical tax thing, uh, for lack of a better word, could you just maybe give us a a high level overview of like, what are opportunity zones? Are they worth kind of looking into? And if so, you know, things, things that you should be paying attention to if, if, if it's something that, um, you know, maybe a strategy, you know, worth pursuing. Yeah. So opportunity zones are areas that have been selected by the government, um, to, basically inject capital to improve the economy. So you're going to be looking at very local areas in most cases, um, but it's just a way for, uh, for the town, the city, uh, whatever of whatever size, to receive a lot of capital injection and then grow that city as a result. Opportunity zones come with a lot of risk. Uh, so our clients have been asking us all about it too. And what we're saying is, hey, these can be really great for you because there are tax benefits, which I'll touch on in a second. Uh, but they could also be pretty risky because you're investing in areas that really might not grow. Um, you're taking a chance on on an on, on enough capital being injected and that capital being managed well by the government um, to grow that city, and it might not actually turn out the way that you plan. So, opportunity zones can be great. They can also be a great way to lose money. And what we're telling clients is just be very, very careful, extra diligent in where you're investing. Now, we are waiting on technical guidance from Treasury. So there's going to be technical guidance technical guidance coming out in how we handle opportunity zones. Also, what areas are actually considered opportunity zones. I don't think that those have come out yet, uh, but we're waiting on that. So an opportunity zone is going to allow an investor to inject capital into, again, a low-income community. Um, and it's the idea, again, there is to promote long-term economic growth. Um, when investors invest in this area, it's a fund. You'll be investing into a fund. Um, you get tax deferral on the capital gain that you invested in the opportunity fund. So if I've got a property 
that I want to liquidate, I could liquidate that property and then invest it into an opportunity zone fund and not pay capital gain tax, at least immediately. Uh, You'll then have an elimination of up to 15% of the tax on the capital gain that was invested into the into the um, qualified opportunity fund. And then you'll also have the potential elimination of tax when exiting a qualified opportunity fund investment. And it just kind of depends on the hold periods there, depending on the tax benefits. So the big benefit is that you can roll in and not have to pay capital gain tax immediately. It's kind of like a 1031 exchange. And if you hold it long enough, you can eliminate a lot of the capital gain that you rolled into that fund initially. Got it. And my, my understanding of kind of how it differentiates from a 1031 exchange is you could take a capital gain from anything, right? So it could be the liquidation of stock. It could be the liquidation of Bitcoin, right? And invest that capital gain into one of these funds or even even another real estate asset, but like where the 1031 exchange requires some like kind and quality of asset, like this doesn't. Is that a statement of fact or somewhat fact? <laughs> Yeah, that is our understanding as well. Um, but we, again, are still waiting on Treasury guidance. That might change. They might um, specify exactly what property can be invested in. Got it. Cool. Well, listen, Brandon, this is this is very helpful. And I think we could probably speak all day about different tax strategies, but uh, we, are, we are running out of time. I, w- I want to wrap with this kind of a two-part question. What What is next for you? What is next for your company? Uh, you talked about 12 employees and 300 plus clients. Where do you, where do you want to be, um, let's say two, three years from now, if we were to, we were to get back on the podcast? And then uh, secondly, you can wrap with this is if someone's listening that, that's interested in being a client, who's kind of the ideal client for you? Who do you help out best? And then how do they get a hold of you? Awesome. So the first question there sounds like a challenge. So whatever I'm committing to here, (laughs) this is recorded. (laughs) Yeah, I have to be careful with what I say. Um, Within the next five years, we want to be a $10 million CPA firm and we have significant uh, capability to scale. It's just when when do we want to turn on the jets? So right now we're figuring out all of our operations. We're figuring out our technology and we're kind of laying that foundation. Um, I think that we could probably hit 10 million within the next two to three years. So I'll commit to that. Uh, We want to have a pretty large firm in terms of employees. We want to service clients, not only in the real estate space, but also expand out into other niches, kind of like what we started in real estate. Um, But just provide a ton of value to clients and show clients that you really don't need a local CPA. You don't need to see your CPA face to face to have an awesome experience and to save a lot of money in taxes. So that's that's where we want to be in two to three years. Yep. Who should reach out to you? So which, which type of investor do you serve best? And then, yeah, how do they get a hold of you? Sure. So we best serve accredited investors, uh, syndications, private equity funds, and people who are aggressively growing a real estate business. So you could be a flipper and have one property, but if you have the capital on hand to expand to 10, uh, within the current year, we can definitely help you out. If you're a smaller investor, we have we have ways that we can help you, but we're not going to be able to add the value that we want to add to your to your tax position. Um, but we'll be able to point you in the right direction and help you out there. So really, just kind of the 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 I don't want to say like super large investors, but you know the medium sized to the larger size investors. Those are the those are the folks that we're looking for at this point and providing a ton of value to. Got it. And then how do they get a hold of you? Email, Twitter, 
one of those, what was that? What are those video emails called? The, uh, that oh, was yeah, bomb bomb. bomb bomb. Should they send you a bomb yeah. bomb? <laughs> yeah, you have to uh, you have to email me to receive a bomb bomb. So bomb bomb's not social network. It's just a plug in, but it's it's amazing. I highly recommend that you all, all check it out. Um, but yeah, uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I am going to be getting more active on there and people know me as a little bit rough around the edges, not really afraid to speak my mind. Uh, sometimes that works really well. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> um, you can follow me on LinkedIn and uh, you can go to our website, www.therealestatecpa.com. Check us out, fill out a web form. We're launching a new website at the end of July 2018 here. So if you go now, uh, keep your judgments to yourself. <laughs> I don't really like it either, but uh, the new website is going to be really sweet and that'll be up in about a month. Um, but yeah, you can go there, fill out a web form, connect with us. We're more than happy to have a conversation and kind of walk you through some things. Awesome. Listen, appreciate the time. Check him out, guys. Uh, obviously, um, from listening here, you know that he knows more than any of you should ever know about taxes, and that's what you need um, to run a, a successful real estate business. So appreciate the time, Brandon. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. This is Real Estate Investing Unscripted. Until next time, Matt, signing off. Thanks a lot. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Real Estate Investing Unscripted. Uh, For more resources or to fund your next project, head on over to fundthatflip.com. Otherwise, I look forward to catching on the next episode. Uh, Your host, Matt Rodak, signing off. Hey, 